0: Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy.
1: Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing in Matthew chapter 10, and we are exploring the differences between the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached when he came the first time to Israel, and contrasting that with the gospel of grace, which is the gospel that Jesus turned to when Israel, and not until Israel had turned their backs on Him, and the offer of the earthly kingdom that He was there two thousand years ago to set up and to bring in this um, this new age that had been promised all through the uh, the Old Testament, what we. Now know as we look back on the history of the Bible and then use the prophetic word in the Bible to look forward to is called the millennial kingdom. This is the kingdom that will take place when Jesus comes back at the end of the year, uh, end of the 7-year tribulation and he judges the world and then those that are counted as righteous living on the earth at the end of the tribulation will pass through his judgment count be counted as righteous and they will populate and um, procreate into the new millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And then, of course, at the end of the thousand years, there's the great white throne judgment that will involve the unrighteous of all time. They will be thrown into the lake of fire along with Satan. Death will be abolished, and we will then go into the eternal state. And God in the new Jerusalem along with the church and all the the, uh, the righteous from ages past will all come down in that new Jerusalem to the earth and we will be there for eternity, uh, according to the Bible. So we are looking at this gospel of the kingdom here in Matthew chapter 10, um, which basically I said has been prophesied all through the Old Testament. We've spent a lot of time over the last... Um, number of programs establishing the background of what that gospel of the kingdom is. And again, uh, a key point to always remember here is when Jesus came the first time preaching this gospel to Israel, there was no hint. There was no, um, discussion of a death, a burial and a resurrection until after Israel had turned their backs on him. So that was never part of the, um, um, Plan of God in the beginning, that kingdom that we are still, that the Israelites, I should say, are still looking forward to in the future, that millennial kingdom would have taken place 2,000 years ago on the earth if they simply had accepted Him. But they refused to do that. And we've been talking about the specifics of that and how hard headed and stiff necked (laughs) the Israelites were at the time of Christ how they were all through the old testament as well so nothing really new as a matter of fact we know because we have the the benefit of 2020 hindsight to look back through the completed word of god to see that israel will remain stiff-necked for another 2000 years and then at the end of those 2000 years they're going to go through a seven-year tribulation that will absolutely brutalize them. I, you know, that's the first word that came to my mind. But they are going to be brought to their proverbial and literal knees, with nowhere else to go but up, and that is when they're finally going to come to their senses, and they're going to cry out, um, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord," and they're going to recognize their Messiah, that they denied 2,000 years ago and have been denying for the last 2,000 years. I think I've told you several times before when we've got around that subject that the, uh, particularly the Orthodox Jews today and, and have been for a long time will not even say the name Jesus. They will refer to him as that man. They want nothing to do with this this idea of a Jesus Christ. So we are in chapter 10, we're we looking at verses 16 to 23. actually Yes, 16 to 23 in our last program. And we were talking about what uh, Jesus was telling them to be prepared for, because I'm sending you disciples, apostles now, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So this was not going to be a hospitable, inviting environment in most cases. They were going to be Uh, turned away, and in some cases rather roughly turned away, that they would be brought before the kings and the governors. And we talked about that in uh, Acts chapter 25 as an example with Paul in front of King Agrippa and Governor Festus, and the fact that they would be uh, hated. These apostles would be hated by all because of Jesus' name. And remember back in the uh, sermon on the mount when we got to verses in chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 it talked about how you will be persecuted if you follow me because your 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 fathers your mothers your your siblings your friends in in unfortunately many cases will not agree with you they will certainly not believe you and they will actually ridicule you and in some cases they might even kill you and so you can imagine the environment at the time that this um, message from this group called the Way in the Bible that was being preached by these disciples and principally by these apostles and this figure named Jesus Christ and the um, turmoil that it was uh, was generating at the time. And people, once the Sermon on the Mount was completed, people started really turning away. So he is sending, Jesus is sending these apostles out into this type of an environment. And we pointed out in our last program that um, Jesus is actually alluding to the future beyond his ministry on earth. Uh, After he had gone back to heaven is when Paul, for instance, would go before King Agrippa and Governor Festus and before him Governor Felix and ultimately... um, have to, to um, share their, share the testimony with these Gentiles as we read in, in verse 18. And he actually looks all the way through the next 2,000 years and through the, the seven-year tribulation to his second coming. As we see in verse 23, it says, But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And we, we went into great detail as the first uh, set of prophetic terms. We have seven sets of prophetic terms we're going through in this series entitled Important Prophetic Terms, and we're looking at contrasting what appear to be very similar terms. And in our first set, it was the Son of God compared and contrasted with the Son of Man. And we know from that uh, study of the scriptures, when it says the Son of Man, it's talking about a time of judgment, which would have been right in the life lifetime of Christ if they had accepted him, because they were told in the Old Testament there would be a tribulation. A seven-year tribulation would precede the introduction of the kingdom. They They denied Christ, so therefore the tribulation was put off, as was the judgment, and the millennial kingdom to follow the judgment. So we're looking still yet future, and it says until the Son of Man comes. So we know from our study that the Son of Man will not come until the end of the seven-year tribulation, which is yet future from us today. So it's a uh, long-range illusion, if you will, because he hasn't said anything yet about his death, burial, and resurrection. So we, uh, we see quite a bit of information there in 16 to 23. And now what I'd like to do, if you see on your worksheets that are available from the radio station here, you can download them. It's got all our scriptures on it. And uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 10, and let's look at verses 32 and 33. He says there in verse 32, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. So he's making it very clear that this is not a situation where a king has now come home, if you will. He's there. He's going to set up his throne, and he's going to expect his subjects to follow his every word and need and fulfill all of his needs and so forth. No, this is the suffering servant that has come. But in order to enter into his kingdom, it's not a matter of just pure obedience to a set of rules. You will need to change your entire heart. You will need to change your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You will need to uh, practice righteousness you will need to practice contriteness and humility uh, and be humble before the Lord before I'll ever accept you into my kingdom. So this is a totally new um, set of requirements that uh, is being brought to them, new to them, because remember, as we've said in prior programs, the priests and the leadership, the spiritual leadership of Israel had had uh, not given the true um, good news of the Old Testament, which is now being filled fulfilled or could be fulfilled if they had accepted fulfilled here in the new testament they're not teaching that to him because the priests are corrupt and the prophets that were bringing the word directly from god were being killed jesus being chief among those the chief prophet and of course they killed him but he's saying if you will follow me if you will endure the Persecution that your, your relatives and your friends and your acquaintances will bring against you uh, and confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father. So, a very powerful um, set of two verses there about the essence of um, following Jesus based on this gospel of the kingdom that he was there to set up on the earth. And then to finish out, Matthew 10 and the basic instructions to the apostles here. Let's read 34, verse 34 of Matthew 10, down through the end of this chapter and comment it on before we move on to um, how Israel turned their backs on this this, um, gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 10, verse 34, do not think that I, and this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And of course, when we know about a sword, people automatically want to say, well, he's going to bring bloodshed. This is the sword of the word. He's bringing the the precious word that had been laid out all through the Old Testament as covenants and promises from Father God down through the patriarchs and then through Moses and so forth and passed along to these people but it's this word that he's preaching uh, that's going to bring division. It's going to um, not bring the peace that they would think they should get if the king comes in and takes care of the Romans and makes Israel the preeminent nation among the war, among all the nations of the world, such that they fear Israel as it was in the time of King David and King Solomon. But you remember if you've if studied uh, any of the the kings and prophets and, and uh, first and second um, chronicles and so forth, you know that even during the reign of King David and King Solomon, people were worshiping idols on the high places. Still, even at the height of the kingdom, we still had this issue. We still had people who would not accept the good news, the, the gospel that was given to them in the Old Testament. So there's he's bringing a sword, and it's the sword of the word that's going to cut all the way to the bone in a spiritual sense. In verse 35, For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. You can't get much pers- more personal than that. And it's it's this gospel of the kingdom if it had been accepted Uh, by those who would accept it. It would divide families. It would divide families. And again, as we've pointed out from the Old Testament, we went to Ezekiel chapter 3 a couple of programs ago. We know that this is nothing new. This is is the nature of Israel, and it has been their nature for 2,000 years. And this is before the time of Christ, 2,000 years, all the way back to Abraham. Um, Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Can you imagine if you were an Israelite uh, at the time of Christ, you've heard this gospel, you have believed this gospel, you are, you are desirous now of following a life of righteousness and uh, you want to have the, the, the walk that is worthy of following Jesus Christ. And it says here that if you do it, it's going to divide you from your family. It's going to divide you from your family because you are being told now that I am more important than your family. And the reason Jesus is more important than your family is your family is very um, short-lived. It's very personal. They're very close. They're blood kin. (laughs) Um, and you'll do anything for your family, but it's only a, a, a speck of time in what we uh, call eternity. But a relationship with Jesus is more important than that because a relationship with Jesus is eternal. It transcends everything. And if you don't understand that, if you don't take that into your heart and really mull it over and think about how important it is to have a spiritual, eternal relationship with Jesus, then you can't understand why he would say believing in me is more important than having a, a relationship with your parents. But that's really, really what he's talking about. And then he gets rather specific here and he uses a term that we find for the first time in his ministry. And it's only an illusion, but he's setting people's thought processes up to comprehend what he's saying here. Look at verse 38. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So giving up a life that you have on the earth, focused on the earth, focused primarily on uh, carnal material things, uh, like your family. He says, if that's your life and it's not me, then you're going to lose it in an eternal sense. But if you lose your earthly life, and it doesn't necessarily mean death, but if you lose your earthly life in the sense that I am willing to suffer the persecution and the, the disdain and the hatred thrown at me from my family, first of all, and then others as well, if I'm not willing to put up for that for the sake of belief in Christ, then if I am willing to put up, I should say, then I will have eternal life with Christ. So that you see the, the great dichotomy, the great black and white aspect here. You either are going to love the world or you're going to love Jesus and live eternally with him. So why would he bring up the word cross? Because remember, we've said it several times here, that in the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached, he never mentioned that he would die on a cross, that he would be buried, and that he would be gloriously resurrected the third day. He doesn't tell Israel that until they have decided to turn against him. But he uses the term cross here because he's being so, I use the word dramatic here, uh, only to make the point that it's so in your face, he's saying, to love me means you're going to be hated by your father, hated by your mother, hated by your siblings. It's that dramatic. And what is more dramatic than death? And at the time that Christ was preaching to the apostles here in Matthew chapter 10, the, the horrible death sentence that was uh, executed using the cross, a wooden cross, was very well known to them at that time. And it was not only a way of talking about physical death, but it was talking about a painful type of death. This was the type of thing. To die to family, if you will, um, meaning to live for Christ, is what he's trying to get across here. And there was nothing more dramatic to, to symbolize that than the cross that the Romans used, and they used it prolifically, unfortunately, uh, around the time of Christ. So to take up your cross meant that you, you had to die, a, a lot of times a difficult death, to come to life in me. So we'll explore that a little bit more in our next program as we wrap up our look at Matthew 10 and then move into Matthew 12 and how the Israelites continue to turn their backs on Christ, leading to his uh, crucifixion and glorious resurrection. But let's go ahead, as we always do in our program, and go to our Q&A portion. And we've been dealing with a new question that we started in our last Q&A, and it's, are any of the seals in the book of Revelation open today? And what we did to establish um, context was to go into the book of Revelation And go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And we read the first eight verses. And it talked about uh, four of the seals uh, are described in those first eight verses. And we know that the first one introduced the Antichrist, the Antichrist, onto the world scene. Then the second seal was a red horse. And that symbolized war. uh, And it is introduced. And you say, wait a minute, war's not introduced. It's been around for millennia. Well, we'll get into that in some detail here because we need to make a distinction based on the Bible. So the second seal is the red horse symbolizing war. It's introduced then. Then the third seal is introduced, and that's a black horse, and that black horse symbolizes famine. And then the fourth seal that we read about in our last program introduces an ashen horse. And this is the symbol of the plagues and the pestilence that follow war and famine because uh, war creates death, war creates destruction. And, of course, we're talking about the destruction of means of producing primarily food. Uh, And when when you have a famine, then you start having plagues and you start having diseases and pestilence and so forth. And then we find out, because of these, Uh, The Antichrist is organizing all this, orchestrating all of this, um, and through the second seal of war, the third seal of famine, and the fourth seal of plagues and pestilence, we find in verse 8 of of Revelation chapter 6 that a fourth of the world's population that's living at that time will be killed. A fourth of the world's population. So we're talking... Uh, We're not talking tens or thousands. We're talking billions of people, unfortunately, at that time. Because the only people that have left the earth that are not counted in the world population is the church. Because the church was raptured out before that first seal was opened, and that's the uh, Antichrist. So whoever's left on the earth, it's going to be a quarter of them. And then we find later on in the first half, another large group of people in in Revelation chapter 9 are killed. So it's a horrible, horrible time. But now that we've gone through the seals, let's go back and find out where does the church fit in this? Because the question is, are any of them open today? Um, If the church is here, can the seals be opened, um, specifically uh, Revelation 6, 1 through 8, those first four seals, Can they be open while the church is here? That's what we want to explore. So we look at uh, Revelation chapter 4. So if we could go to Revelation chapter 4, and this is the first chapter following a review of the seven churches. And we talked about in our last program how Revelation is written for the church. And if uh, you read it, read Revelation, and you heed it, don't just read it, but you study it and you apply it to your life and you um, believe that God ordained this uh, through the Holy Spirit to be given to us through the um, Apostle John who, who wrote Revelation through the Holy Spirit, that this will, give, this will be a blessing that is given to you by God. And it's mentioned at the beginning of Revelation. It's mentioned at the end. So it's, it's, it's for the church, even though it's principally about Israel. And the reason we know that is if you go to Revelation chapter 4, right after he finishes talking about the churches, you see uh, in Revelation 4.1, after these things, after he finished talking about the, the churches, he said, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. So, he's talking about the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Now he's saying, I'm going to show you what happens after that. Well, it's interesting because the term and the description of the churches, the description and the use of the word church, ends at the end of Revelation chapter 3. And from Revelation chapter 4, when he starts talking about things that occur after after these things we do not see the term or any reference to the church until revelation 19 and we find in revelation 19 a description of the second coming of Christ and he comes with his bride he comes with his wife and who is the bride of Christ who at that point in time, will be the wife of Christ. It's the church. So the point I'm making here is, looking at the beginning of chapter 4, we see the term come up here, which I believe is the command for the rapture of the church to come up there before the tribulation can start. Another evidence of that is in the next chapter. Remember, we were reading about the seals in Revelation 6. Revelation 4 precedes revelation 6 and so as does revelation chapter 5 and go to revelation chapter 5 and look at verses 8 through 10 when he had taken the book talking about Jesus had taken the book the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and a gold and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints verse 9 and they These elders sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, referring to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you, Jesus, have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Reign upon the earth. The people who will reign upon the earth are the church. So we're seeing the church in heaven in verses 8 through 10 here. So if the church is in heaven, Revelation 6 happens after the church is gone. We'll explore that a little bit more and look at some other scriptures in Thessalonians to further solidify this point that, These do not apply, the seals do not apply to the current time. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you
0: for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the Unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.